Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review was sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. As students return to school and collegiate student athletes prepare to balance their academics and training, it's a good time to discuss the relatively recent change to the rules allowing student athletes to monetize their own name, image, and likeness. Historically, the NCAA resisted efforts to compensate college athletes. The NCAA maintained that student athletes couldn't be compensated in the name of amateurism. However, in 2021, the Supreme Court decided the case of NCAA v. Alston and struck down potential limitations on education-related benefits that student athletes might receive. The court notably rejected the NCAA's amateurism argument, emphasizing that the highly profitable and professional nature of certain college sports warranted a rejection of that rule. Following the court's decision, the NCAA issued an interim name, image, and likeness policy, allowing student athletes to earn compensation. Several states have also enacted laws, and additionally, startups have been connecting with advertisers and student athletes and helping them facilitate deals focusing on name, image, and likeness. The NIL movement has even reached high school athletes with some of them signing deals as early as 2022. On this evening's show, we'll discuss the impact, benefit, and challenges associated with student athletes' ability to monetize their name, image, and likeness. We have three wonderful guests joining us this evening. Our first is Angelica McDonald. She is an attorney who practices in the area of business, sports, and trademark law. She is a proud graduate and one of my former students, um, graduate of the North Carolina Central University School of Law, and also Southwestern Law School. In 2022, Attorney McDonald co-founded Rise HBCU, a collective that was created for NCCU student-athletes, educating them on name, image, and likeness brand deals, and supplying them with vast resources to help the student-athletes post-graduation. Also joining us is current 3L, soon-to-graduate, NCCU School of Law student, Jada Satchel. She currently holds a position of Editor-in-Chief of the Science and Intellectual Property Law Review. In last year's volume of the Law Review, Ms. Satchel published her case note, which was titled, Take One for the Team, How the NCAA Can Secure a Win for College Athletes' Intellectual Property Rights. Her note discusses name, image, and likeness provisions provided by the NCAA after the O'Bannon v. NCAA decision. And finally, we have also joining us Jamarius Burton. He is a former college basketball player from Charlotte, North Carolina. 
He played at Wichita State and Texas Tech before transferring to the University of Pittsburgh, where he graduated this past spring. Mr. Burton is passionate about mental health, community engagement, social justice, and of course, basketball. His goal is to utilize his skills in an effort to bring awareness to societal issues, traditions, and sports that significantly impact the lives of people. Mr. Burton currently plays overseas in Belgium, playing professional basketball. Thank you all for joining us this evening. We know you're incredibly busy with your practices, with your um, athletics, and with your, your schoolwork. So we really appreciate your time this evening. So the first question that we'd like for you all to share your thoughts on is um, how you became interested in collegiate athletics, specifically the name, image, and likeness issues. Um, and Mr. Burton, as our student athlete on the call, it's kind of obvious why you would be interested in it, but could you share with us what your um, thoughts were and the impact or the impressions you had at the time that these rules were changing? Yes. Yeah, so for me personally, I had been in college for a few years before NIL was ever introduced. Um, and prior to it being introduced, um, I did feel like that there, that the athletes, us as athletes should get compensated for our name, image and likeness. Um, so when it came about, um, I was very happy and excited, but I didn't really know how to navigate it at first. Thank you for that. And that's a great segue into Angelica McDonald, who is an attorney who advises and counsels athletes on um, name, image, and likeness. And so Attorney McDonald, how did you become interested in this space? And go ahead and share with us a little about the role that you see for the need of counsel for particularly student athletes, many of whom are, are very young and inexperienced. Um, so I, I've been wanting to work in sports since I was probably like in the 10th grade. <laughs> so like, I'm a huge Carolina fan and I mean, I was like really into it so much that like my chemistry notebook had battle of the blues on it and it had, you know, Duke and Carolina like versus each other. It was, it was a thing. So I've been like really into college basketball for a really long time. Um, and I've actually been following name, image, and likeness since Ed O'Bannon. So like when I was in law school. So, you know, the the topic wasn't anything new. Just didn't realize that it was going to, everything was going to happen the way it happened. So, um, you know, I I think that the the role of counsel has been so important and just, you know, to to, you know, piggyback off of what Jamiri said, like, you know, a lot of the college athletes don't know how to navigate it. Um, a lot of their parents don't know how to navigate it. The high school athletes don't know how to navigate it. So it's super important for people like myself that are in the industry that understand, you know, name, image, and likeness, intellectual property rights, um, contract law, negotiation is super important for people like us to provide that counsel because without us I think that a lot of 
um, athletes could get in trouble and, and not, I won't say like in trouble as far as legal, um, as far as maybe deals are concerned, but from the legal perspective, for sure, not knowing what rights they're signing away. I'm finding, I'm seeing that a lot, not really understanding what things mean. So I think it's going to be really, really important. It has been important for, um, the advisors, the counselors, um, to, to really, help um in the best way that we know how that we can thank you for that and miss satchel so you decided to write your note uh which was published so share with us how you became interested in this subject and and why you decided to write this note and tell us a little bit about it so like attorney mcdonald i'm a big carolina fan so um i've been a carolina fan for a long time but besides that um i used to coach basketball and i used to play basketball myself um and going to college and being in school for such a long time um i interacted with a lot of college athletes and hearing their stories about how they wouldn't have enough money to like eat or go any of these places however i can go buy the jersey in our school store for 150 dollars was was ridiculous to me and i just didn't understand the disparity there um so and i thought it was always interesting how institutions make so much money like carolina or like duke or these big schools these big name basketball schools make so much money off of their players however their players are struggling um so that was always very interesting to me so when i had the opportunity to write my case note in the area of science and intellectual property, to me, it made sense to write on something that was very passionate to me and research something because I didn't know anything about it. I like, like everybody said, it's really difficult to figure out what NIL is and how the NCAA will handle it. So in doing research and finding out that there isn't really, nobody really knows. Like even the NCAA is like, oh, it's an interim policy. However, we're still trying to figure things out is very I think a, a problem for the fact that you have so many athletes entering into these contracts. So in my research, I wanted to see if there was anything that supported the assertion that, you know, athletes should have name and image and likeness rights. And then what was the protections in place for these younger athletes? Because these athletes are 16, excuse me, 17, 18 years old. They don't know what they're entering into. So that was my biggest thing in trying to find anything that was supported by that. And when I found, you know, the California legislature with the Fair um, Pay to Play Act, um, I thought that was interesting. However, they could have gone a little further in protecting intellectual property rights. So those were the basis of my um, note. And then I took the position that in my note that they should create a central, the NCAA should do more than just allow for money to be made, but more so create a centralized commission of attorneys like Attorney McDonald, as well as um, agents that are facilitated by the NCAA. So the NCAA is footing that bill. These athletes are coming into these contracts with not having any resources, coming from lower income families likely. So they don't really have the opportunity to pay for an attorney to then orchestrate a, a NIL deal. So if the NCAA takes a small portion of that 1.16, I mean, $1.16 billion budget to facilitate that commission, I don't see how that would be any difficult to protect the intellectual property rights of their athletes. Let me uh, chime in uh, here. First of all, giving honor to uh, Ed O'Bannon uh, for initiating all of this way back in the day <laughs> uh, before uh, some of you were even around. Uh, that uh, led to uh, this uh, name, image, and likeness uh, situation. My, my my concern is about the uh, uh, the overall aspect of uh, NIL and uh, the fairness 
aspect of it uh, and the competition that is created internally uh, that threatens uh, team harmony. And uh, those of you who have played the game understand the, uh, the, 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 the necessity of having team harmony uh, and people on the uh, same wavelength. And uh, uh, what is the impact of NIL on maintaining that team chemistry and that togetherness and that feeling, particularly among those athletes who are uh, who are not the stars, uh, who are not in the uh, limelight, and uh, where uh, at 16, 17, and 18, uh, jealousy and competitiveness uh, come in and can wreck uh, relationships and uh, the ability to maintain the discipline that's necessary in a uh, team sport. Uh, so let me just start with Mr. Burton because he, you know, he, he's from Charlotte. He's uh, not a professed Carolina fan. My condolences to you. Uh, and uh, he, he's been around a lot of other uh, athletes who are involved in this. So, uh, Mr. Burton, can you kind of talk about the impact of that, the NIL, on, on, on team chemistry? Yes, I would say um, the impact. The impact of NIL on team chemistry, from my perspective, with my team, um, it didn't really play a role only because of the the condition my team was in. We wanted to win more than anything. However, I did know, you know, which players were getting paid and the amounts that they were getting paid. And for me personally, it did hurt a little bit. And I did. It did have an impact on me mentally, but not necessarily my game. And for me, I always um, wanted to put my best fo foot forward as far as it as far as it came to playing on the court. So when I when it came to playing in the games, when it came to practicing, I just locked in on that. But I would definitely say that I wouldn't be surprised if it's playing a role in team chemistry. Um, jealousy is definitely um, prevalent in the locker room. So I can see how one guy can learn that another guy is getting paid this X amount of dollars. And then it becomes a big thing. But I just know for me, you know, in my last year at Pitt, I couldn't allow that to, you know, affect me and my goals. Yeah. And of course, we're dealing also with the up and coming because you, know, you were you were a veteran yes. and uh, more seasoned and uh, in, 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 in sure in your status uh, as uh, as an athlete. Uh, Attorney McDonald, what is it that you're seeing uh, with respect to these uh, aspects of, of the game with those uh uh, athletes that uh, you counsel and come in, in in contact with? Honestly, what I see with my athletes for sure is they, they it's, it's interesting because they, they've actually brought in others because they wanted to be able to share the opportunities that they have been availed. So at first, when we first started Rise of HBCU, we had four athletes, two football players, softball and um, track and field. And I mean, we had like two pretty good like wide receivers. Um, but actually, one of our wide receivers brought in the quarterback, um, Davius. And the, I and honestly, you know, and not to say I was surprised, but it just showed like what kind of relationship they had on and off the field that they brought in something, somebody who had more of a, um, I guess, as far as like caliber of persona, um, they brought somebody in that potentially could get more deals than they, or, and mind you, I, 
I would I would say everybody we treat everybody fairly. So everybody gets treated the same regardless of who they are. So as far as opportunity, we're trying to find opportunities for all of them. You know what I mean? Based on their personality, based on their time, based on what they can do um or or what they have time for because that's a big thing. Like, you know, if they they don't have time for it, you know, we can only give them a few deals or whatever. So um, I haven't seen that it, it at least from the HBCU perspective, I haven't seen that it, it has really affected the, you know, the chemistry. I've seen like when read from other big teams, how uh, a lot of the, the people who are players who are getting deals, they're sharing the wealth with their teammates as well. And they're do like, they're taking them under their wing and introducing them to people as well. So um, I think it's a little bit, it could, it could, it could go multiple ways depending on the athlete. But I think the athletes see the benefit of bringing their teammates in, sharing parts of their deals, whether they're getting something like I've, I've seen like uh, with Aja Reese and Flage when um, they had that deal with coach, they got all their teammates in the coaches coach bags, you know, when they got their stuff, Shador Sanders beats by Dre, they got everybody headphones. So um, I think that is a great way to, you know, keep the camaraderie together and show that like, hey, like just because I'm getting deals doesn't mean that you can't benefit either. Well, Miss Santa, let me just 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 pose this uh, hypo. Uh, I mean, because it's one thing for an athlete to have an NIL deal uh, where they are uh, endorsing uh, Chick Fil A, uh, while the other uh, athlete is uh, endorsing the uh, local funeral home. Uh, how do you navigate between the uh, uh, on your reputation? Uh, for the athlete as they're moving through this uh, process. But I see we have to take our break uh, right now. And I want you to marinate on on, on that. Uh, This is the uh, Legal Eagle Review here on uh, 90.7 FM. Uh, We are talking with Jamaris Burton, uh, attorney Angelica McDonald, Jada Satchel, all about the uh, name, image, and likeness. Want you to stay with us as we uh, continue. Uh, this discussion. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Kiana Woods, and I'm a third-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your Community Spotlight. The Contemporary Art Museum in downtown Raleigh will be hosting a Sunday market every Sunday in August from 12 p.m. to 5 p.m. The event will feature vendors specializing in delicious foods, captivating art, stylish clothing, and much more. The Contemporary Art Museum is located on 402 West Martin Street, Raleigh, North Carolina. This is Kiana Woods with the Legal Eagle Review. Thank you for listening. Okay, we are back on the uh, Legal Legal Review where we are continuing our discussion about uh, name, image, and likeness. Uh, this is a uh, relative, n- relatively new area of the law. It is a new experience for many of uh, our athletes uh, in uh, colleges, uh, in uh, 
high schools uh, now uh, where they have been afforded the opportunity uh, to uh, monetize uh, their image, uh, their uh, uh, stardom uh, at the uh, athletic uh, level. When we took our break, we raised a question about uh, reputation and uh, of the uh, individual uh, athletes based on what it is that they are in- endorsing and uh, the kind of impact that that has on them. And this uh, uh, Satchel was getting ready to respond to that before we uh, took our break. So we will, we will return to her uh, to get her response to that question. I think that the um, it'll become an interesting idea of interplay with the athlete's actual reputa- reputation and then also with whom they are representing. So I think that, like, for instance, if you have Chick-fil-A, you have certain core values with Chick-fil-A that an athlete would ideally have to align with if they are endorsing that particular industry. And I think with outside of looking outside of just athletes and regular um, endorsement deals with any type of group of people or any particular companies, um, the endorse E usually has to portray a certain level about themselves, a level of professionalism or according to that brand. So I think that there can be some type of um, reputation issues with college athletes because they are young adults at the end of the day and they will make mistakes. So I think that it can be an issue of reputation for the actual um, endorse, like who they are, who they are being endorsed by, or who they're trying to endorse. I think that can come into some issues and to interplay. But also, as an athlete themselves, realizing who they want to align themselves with, like they won't know completely everything about a company or about a particular industry. So having the correct people in place to to inform them of these particular groups of people or what this organization actually stands for other than just a check, I think is extremely important for an athlete to understand that their reputation follows them throughout their career. And I think we've seen a lot lately in news and other areas of entertainment, how all these different brands and these different people that represent these brands may have some issues that come up and arise when you when you learn about what different brand practices are or what this particular person believes in. So I think athletes need to be very aware of their own core values when they align with these particular endorsements. And that is to go towards, um, again, having the support to understand and research what these companies are. Attorney McDonald, as you were talking about your experience in working with um, Rise HBCU and the interaction between those student athletes who get opportunities and exposing those to their teammates, it made me um, remember that the young people today are growing up in an environment that's very different than the environment that I grew up in, certainly, um, and, and many of you as well. And so when we think about branding, when we think about social media, when we think about monetizing, that's something that so many young people are already doing. So if we think about YouTube channels, Instagram, TikTok, um, it's like the environment in which they operate is very different. However, they still may not have the understanding and the sophistication that is required when you're um, engaging in contractual deals, right? When you're dealing with money, um, how to manage your money. Can you talk about how the experiences of younger people in this kind of social media age impacts how they think about name, image, and likeness? 
I think because they're so exposed to the opportunities that can present themselves, like you said, with YouTube and um, different influencers on social media, I mean, it's it's so easy now and it's not an easy thing, but it's so easy now to gain a following on social media and start to make income, whether, you know, they're being, because they're monetized because of, you know, how many followers they have or how many views or likes or, you know, impressions that they get. So I think like the mindset is completely different. Now, mind you, you know, young people being able to be entertainers, um athletes is not a new thing so nil is not a new thing it's just a new thing in this realm of like influencers and um uh being able to do brand deals and and things like that so i think their imagination of what is possible is just completely different um and I think it's actually like a really cool thing. But of course, there are, you know, are pros and cons to everything. So I think that and that's that's why I, I said, you know, having people that are going to guide you and really develop and just like Jada said, you know, really understanding who they are because my athletes, who they were a year ago, is just completely different than who they are now. And I'm I find myself having to adjust to the who like how they've grown how I push them to grow and really learn and develop and you know figure out themselves and I think that with name image and likeness like when it comes to college athletes or even high school as well that's going to be a big thing for them to be aware of how they are growing how who they're becoming and for that to um connect with who they are perceiving themselves to be in the public as well um because you know they may present themselves one way and they realize like that's not who I want to be or who I am and I need to make sure that I carry that over hopefully somebody is encouraging them to carry that over and not you know continue this this persona but I think it's just so important for like the adults to really step in and and just be that that guiding um that guiding light because like um Jamarius was saying about like the mental health part and everything like it's it's so important for them to 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 be grounded and have people around them that keep them grounded um because this this is something that is it, going to be like a short period of time that they can capitalize off this opportunity. So making sure that they're utilizing that time, but also still staying true to themselves. And Mr. Burton, you, is, you know, we know that you take a particular interest in, in mental health and well-being. Can you talk about, as a student athlete, what some of the other stressors are that um, can make maintaining mental health a challenge? and how the whole name, image, and likeness may just compound that issue or those issues. Right. So as an athlete, I would say, especially in my first couple of years, I, I paid attention to social media and that plays a role, you know, with the athlete's mental health, because before, or after the games, you might be reading clips, you know, and it, and it, and it can affect you. But I will also say how name, image, and likeness may compound to that issue is because now you feel like you're competing with other athletes, you might see another guy get a different deal. And then you start looking at your stats and comparing and like, wait, time out. I'm this type of caliber player. 
and I'm not getting these deals or, you know, vice versa. So I can definitely say that it, it can definitely compound, you know, mental health as it, as it pertains to, you know, playing the sport. Well, Mr. Burton, you know, because you, you've been around uh, a, a little bit. Uh, you're over in Belgium. Uh, now you're at Pittsburgh. You were at uh, Wichita uh, and uh, Texas Tech. I, I recall Michael Jordan many years mm -hmm. ago. Uh, saying that he did not take uh, positions on political uh, issues uh, because Republicans and Democrats uh, bought his shoes. Uh, mm -hmm. He did not want to be uh, put in a position that uh, what uh, he said impacted his uh, commercial value or the uh, value of his shoes. Uh, can you kind of talk about some of the limitations uh, that uh, that's placed on athletes as a result of uh, being put in a position that uh, that they are limelight, uh, they are star in the orbit, and they want to uh, increase uh, their uh, marketability. And uh, so you talk about mental health. Uh, how does that impact uh, that person's uh, the psychology uh, that that uh, young person is having to deal with in a world where they are just unaccustomed uh, with this kind of uh, treatment and accolades. Yeah, I would just say uh, for me, it just it just made me become more cautious, you know, more cautious of what I was doing, um, more cautious of being out in public um, because of, you know, I didn't want anything to compromise, um, my image and what I could obtain through these deals. So I just feel like that's, that's the big limitation is at times you may not be able to be yourself, um, because, you know, there are camera phones and there are people out there that are, you know, desperately waiting to see if they can get an image or a video of whatever the sort. And then, of course, that can affect the uh, the bottom line, which which raises this other question. So Attorney McDonald was talking about how the students are are growing by leaps and bounds. And, and part of it is because they're able to engage in this business world. Miss um, Satchel, you had mentioned that it's incredibly and all of you have kind of talked about the need for support of these young people. And Miss Satchel, you have done a deep dive on issues related to intellectual property. Can you talk about um, how challenging it is or whether it's challenging to explain intellectual property to young people, to student athletes, so that they can begin to appreciate how they can accumulate intergenerational wealth tied to that intellectual property? I think that it can be both challenging and also easy. I think that making sure the reason why uh, people like us go to law school and people like us become attorneys is to be able to bridge a gap of understanding. So we are the ones that are supposed to be able to understand the complex issues as it relates to legal language and filings and court documents and any of those things that need to occur. However, when that, that information goes back to an athlete whose sole idea and sole want is to be good at basketball, be good at football, be good at a sport and enjoy what they do, I think the the onus is on the person that is representing them and the person that's trying to do um, good by them. So I think communicating to them the complexity of intellectual property just boils down to your name, what you look like, what you do, and how you handle yourselves are all things that can be monetized. And this is how we, we want to do it, or this is the steps that we can take to do so. So I think it can be challenging in a sense of 
reminding athletes um, that what you do does come back in terms of like what you say and how you handle yourself and what you put on social media. I know we talked earlier about influencers and having the issue of that you've you've put out all of these like let's say graphics or pictures or designs of yourself for free for so long so it may be more difficult on the back end for us to try to monetize that because you've given it to the public for free because you wanted to have you know followers on tiktok or social media or something like that so it may be more challenging to express those issues of those gaps of you've decided earlier in your career to do these things. However, now we want to monetize that. So you need to be aware of that moving forward. But I think it'll also be a little easier to just just break down the concept of these things that are, are innate to you, these things that make you who you are, or what can be monetized and what, what encompass intellectual property, because that's essentially all that it is. And I think taking those steps as an attorney or as a law student, or even as a professor to communicate these things will help benefit athletes and students alike across the board. And then just really telling people like, you know, if you want to make money off yourself, you probably shouldn't give it out to the public for free. So <laughs> let's just try to like limit that. You know, I think that's the biggest thing. Well, from a, from a legal perspective, uh, you know, we, we're talking about here entering into contracts. And for uh, some of these athletes who are under uh, 18, uh, they're not legally capable of entering into uh, contracts. Uh, and in some places up to uh, 21 uh, years of age, uh, legally competent to, uh, to do that. Can you kind of talk about the, uh, the family influence on uh, deal making, uh, particularly in those situations where the family has uh, locked on to their student athlete as their ticket out of the uh, underprivileged uh, communities that uh, that they're in, and the uh, players are really out there fighting for money for the family and for the uh, ability of the family to grow and develop. Uh, Attorney McDonald, I know that you you know have dealt with athletes. Uh, Mr. Burton is an athlete and has dealt with others in that uh, in that realm. Uh, so, can y'all kind of talk about the, uh, the 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 influence of the family in making these deals and whether they should or shouldn't? So, I would say at least with my college athletes, I haven't really dealt much with their families. Um, I, I, you know, and and I've seen this even even with my own like um, workshops that I've done. Um, I find that more of the the families are involved like when they're in middle school, high school versus when they're in college. Not to say that families are not involved in the college level because we've seen a lot of parents like you know we'll see them especially if it's like a televised TV show, people paying to their parents. You know what I mean? Like so, it just depends. Um, but I think that the biggest and I got and I've gotten this question before about like, you know, especially with from the high school perspective of, OK, now, like a lot of these states are allowing the high school athletes to be able to have NIL rights. Like is Uncle Uncle Pookie or Uncle Jojo going to come in and, you know, try to, you know, be the agent or whatever. And they don't know what the heck they're doing. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know nothing about contract law. Um, so I it like, and that's honestly one of my fears. And that's honestly, if I, that's the reason why I wanted to get into this field to help guide athletes when they don't have people behind them that, um, can, you know, I had a, a lot of friends who are super talented athletes, but 
their parents didn't know, coaches really weren't educated and they didn't understand what to do of how to get them opportunities way before NIL, you know, even just being able to get them like a college, like get them into college, you know, and get a scholarship and, you know, get them opportunities, get them visibility. So I think that, you know, family plays a big role, but sometimes we are limited by our circumstances and it's not always our fault that we come from certain backgrounds and come from certain, you know, uh, demographics and socioeconomic, you know, circumstances. So um, I think that it sometimes it is unfortunate situations where people are just born into, you know, lives that they, they just, they don't know any better. Mr. Berg. Yeah. So for me, I've been in locker rooms with guys who actually had, families of their own, you know, kids of their own and um, that had, you know, fathers incarcerated and, you know, had mom and sisters back home. And I'm sure a lot of their NIL money went back to them. So I can definitely um, attest to how NIL has definitely helped, you know, people in their specific backgrounds at home. But I'm sure that it's also playing a role in how people are navigating deals and how hard, you know, players are playing, but ultimately it's still going to come down to the deals that you're able to facilitate. All right. You are listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking about the ability of student athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness. We have with us here in our Zoom studio, Angelica McDonald. She is a North Carolina-based attorney who practices in the area of business, sports, and trademark law. Jada Satchel, who is a 3L NCCU School of Law student. She currently holds the position of Editor-in-Chief of the Science Intellectual Property Law Review. And Jamarius Burton, who is a former college basketball player, a Charlotte native, and he plays professional basketball in Belgium. We're going to have to take a quick break. We hope you stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Shantae McNeil, and I am a current second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your community spotlight. Book Harvest and Durham's Partnership for Children have partnered with Loco Pops Dessert Cafe, located at 2618 Hillsboro Road, to host a free monthly book exchange. Come August 24th from 3 to 6 p.m. to give a book and get a book. Kids and young adult books are welcome. If you do not have any books to swap, come anyway. There will be extras. Free crafts for kids are available while enjoying a new book and desserts. Any extra books accumulated from the book exchange will be donated to the book harvest. And remember, as Bell Hooks once said, if you deprive working class black people of access to reading and writing, you are making them that much further removed from being a class that can engage in revolutionary resistance. This is Shantae McNeil with your Community Spotlight. Thank you for listening.
And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with our three wonderful guests this hour about the ability of student athletes to monetize their name, image, and likeness the benefits, the limitations, and the challenges. We've been speaking with Jamarius Burton, who is a professional basketball player in Belgium and a former, not surprisingly, college athlete himself. Jada Satchel, who is a third-year law student here at North Carolina Central University School of Law, who recently wrote and published a note about student athletes and name, image, and likeness. And she is the editor-in-chief of the Science and Intellectual Property Law Review. And Angelica McDonald, who is a proud graduate of NCCU School of Law. She is a North Carolina-based attorney who practices in the area of business, sports, and trademark law. And she also founded the organization called Rise HBCU. So want to Um, We've talked a little bit about the competition that may exist amongst student athletes as they are contemplating what deals they can take advantage of. There's also a lot of competition at the school level. So now that students can monetize their name, image, and likeness, that factors into how um, large schools, right, with big uh, sports budgets go about courting students. Can you all talk about the role that boosters may play in providing deals um, or making deals available for student athletes as they are con- as they are considering which schools to go to? So to, to try and sweeten the pot, if you will. Yes, I would say boosters play a huge role, if not the biggest role in um, the whole ordeal. I had some guys that I played with previously at Wichita State that I was trying to recruit at Pitt. And at the time, Pitt was still trying to navigate the NIL thing. So they didn't have the funds to match a Texas A&M or West Virginia. So my guys, my friends, they ultimately did not choose to come to Pitt, regardless of if we could have been a great basketball you know, team together. They foregone that and went to the bag. So I can definitely attest to how donors, you know, play a role in obtaining, you know, players, especially through the transfer portal. Which has increased uh, tremendously uh, since uh, NIL uh, has come into play. Uh, And it seems that uh, players are changing uh, schools almost yearly uh, now based on uh, these, uh, these deals. Let me just just, just throw into this mix uh, the, the, the distinctions between uh, uh, players at uh, HBCUs and uh, those players who are, are at PWIs, those predominantly white uh, institutions that, uh, that uh, Mr. Burton uh, spoke to. Uh, is there a difference in how they are treated, how they are received, and then what the uh, perceptions are as to their value? Um, I mean, I can't really attest to the HBCU, but I can attest to the levels. And I would say that because of the levels of power five and being at an HBCU, um, a lot would question the competition. So like, let's say an HBCU player went into the transfer portal. I'm pretty sure 
um, he wouldn't be able to get the same amount of funds as necessarily a guy from a power five that hit the portal because of the, the competition levels and the quote unquote competition. That doesn't necessarily mean that the guy at HBCU isn't talented enough. That's just how it's perceived. And attorney McDonald, you work almost, I'm, I'm thinking exclusively with HBCU students. It was your desire to work with those students in particular. Can you talk about the dynamics between the you know, PWIs and HBCUs and the issue that you know, money may play um, a student may decide to go to an institution, not because it really is a great fit for them, but they're thinking about, you know, how they can leverage that into wealth building. Um, yeah, I, I, I work exclusively with HBCU athletes, and this is a concern that I've even heard coaches discussing, like feeling like they are losing top tier talent because of NIL. Um, and, you know, but this is something that coaches were talking about before NIL was in place too. So it's just like NIL took it. And I won't even say took it to another level because we know that players were getting paid under the table before this you know, happen. So, you know, now it's just in the forefront and now they get to name their, they get to, they get to run the show The you know, the, the athletes. So um, it's not a new problem. Um, but I definitely think that um, from the HBCU perspective that they are seen differently. Um, I've had people tell me that they didn't feel like they necessarily had as much value because of um, because of the notoriety or because of the school or what or whatever. But there have been so many cases where it, regardless of what school uh, an athlete attends that they can make money from their NIL. Are they going to make as much money um, as like the athletes at those big power five schools? No, but I mean, there's there's A, B, C list celebrities. So everybody can't be at the top. Everybody cannot be at the top and they're not going to. Um, so I think like from the HBCU perspective, what I have my athletes lean more into is their personality, the HBCU community, people, businesses that actually support HBCUs. Um, we're leaning more into that, especially like from the regional and local level, because that from a from a branding, like from an advertising and marketing standpoint, depending on what the business goal is, that's going to determine who they want. Um, to provide them marketing services for their brand. So I think that when it comes to NIL, this is a very great opportunity for HBCUs to set themselves apart and provide that one-on-one -on -one care, that one-on-one, -on -one, those resources that maybe, you know, a, a PWI may not. And, I, and of course, PWIs have a vast wealth of resources, you know, monies, you know, coaching staff, what have you, but the HBCU experience, uh, money can't buy, you know, it cannot be duplicated. So even just tapping into that HBCU experience and then also saying, hey, 
you know, we dedicate this type of attention um, to NIL can serve HBCUs very well. And that's what we've been doing, particularly at Central, North Carolina Central. Like that's what we've been doing. And I think that it just, it can, it can, it's going to help not only Central, but other HBCUs as they continue to lean into, you know, what can um, come from uh, utilizing NIL in the right way, in the most advantageous way, not only for the athletes, but for the schools as well, in the athletic departments. Well, for, for a case-specific, uh, uh, I guess, uh, analysis, uh, can, you, can you talk about the differences in opportunities for athletes in a community like the Triangle? where you have Duke, Carolina, State, uh, NCCU, uh, A&T, versus the opportunities that are available to those athletes in Wichita or at in Pittsburgh, uh, where you don't have that uh, mix, the same mix, uh, and, 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 and the opportunities that, and whether that is a draw or whether that is a disadvantage in being uh, located in those uh, in those spaces. Uh, so let me just start with Ms. Satchel uh, uh, on that. I think that it's definitely um, clear with the recent transfer portal situation um, and then the moving of coaches themselves. So like um, recently we had the big push for HBCUs because of Deion Sanders' presence um, at Jackson State. So I think there was a lot of like athletes going um, to HBCUs or committing to HBCUs. However, we know that he in eventually ended up going to a PWI. And I think it's since then reduced the amount of athletes who have this big push for HBCU um, culture as it relates to PWI versus HBCU. Outside of that, I think that when you have these big schools like Duke, Carolina, um, like Francis, Alabama, we have big community sourcing and you have a lot of backing in terms of boosters for you have prominent boosters from these universities that can then um, group their resources to really push athletes to come to these particular schools. Um, if I'm an athlete and I'm an, um, looking to if I'm coming from a lower income family, I'm looking to help out my family like we have. Um, said before, I'm not necessarily leaning into an HBCU when I can go to Duke and get, let's say, $100,000, $200,000 worth of um, NIL commission. So I think that you have the um, discrepancies between when you have one, so many schools in a particular area, I think the um, triangle is saturated with schools. So that in itself is a problem when you have um, students trying to decide because you you also have a HBCU, for instance, NCCU com- um, competing against these big schools that have a lot of budgets and a lot of prominent alumni and have been along, been around for a very long time. And then if you go from into communities that are in different areas or smaller institutions, these smaller institutions, like I mentioned in my um, note, you have smaller institutions that don't have the same level of alumni, the same level of prominence from alumni. So their budgets are a lot less and able to, commun- to um, compete in NIO situations. So I think it poses a lot of issues for actual because NCAA wants to promote fairness in terms of recruiting, but it actually poses a lot of issues when they put no safeguards on how much a school or how much a booster or how much a community sourcing can give into a particular athlete, because it won't be fair ever because not all these universities make the same amount of money or have the same amount of attendance or have the same amount of prominent alumni. Turner McDonald. I definitely agree. 
and and we've seen and I and mind you like boosters they are definitely playing a whole a, a huge role but mind you like they're not supposed to be like considered boosters <laughs> like you know that's where these collectives come from you know like the collectives are basically funded by boosters but what we're also seeing is based on like um the year two reports that I've read is that there is a thing called like booster fatigue where the boosters are wondering like are their contributions making a difference are they getting the caliber of athlete to come to their institutions and whether their huge contributions is actually paying off in the area of NIL, which I thought would be very interesting because, you know, the boosters have been boosters and the, the same thing could be said if they were giving, you know, the money straight to the school anyway, like, oh, how are y'all using the money? That didn't stop them from giving the money to directly to the school. So, uh I don't see really the difference between uh, the analysis of giving the school versus giving it to, to the collective. And mind you, most of from like collective standpoint, most of the monies that athletes make are coming straight from the collectives. And they're doing very small, like very small amounts of NIL activity. So it's like 80% of income, 20%, 20, like NIL activity. So that should say, <laughs> you know, how, uh, how much of the uh, role boosters play in this whole NIL game, because we've talked about, about like signing contracts and the branding, but technically a lot of the athletes are getting monies and they're not doing as much when it comes to NIL, which of course the market value and all the other stuff plays into this. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, but booster fatigue is something that um, has been talked about. So it's like projected as far as year three is concerned that um ROI is going to be a big conversation all the way around, like ROI from the athlete, like are their efforts being, um, their efforts, are they being compensated or are they making what they want to make from the efforts from the collective standpoint, you know, are the boosters really getting their value from the money that they're giving from the school standpoint, like if the school is actually putting in resources to help the student athletes when it comes to NIL, are they really getting anything from it? So there's a lot of different um, uh, entities that are trying to, you know, figure out like the ROI and that'll be a big focus this, this next year. Mr. Burton. Yes, I I would just say that a school's location would definitely play a role in an athlete, you know, making a decision to where to go um, based on the compensation. But from my experience talking to guys, like they already know the X amount of dollars that each university that they could get. So regardless of if Duke and all of them is around, I they based on the recruitment and the conversations that are had, they they can kind of navigate to see, you know, regardless of location, which place I can get the most dollars from. One thing I want to, we've got just a few minutes left, but I, I want to kind of underscore, um, Attorney McDonald was talking about how HBCUs, if we kind of lean into this opportunity, and we know that, you know, not all students, regardless of their, you know, talent are necessarily going to be competitive at the bigger schools. And we will continue to have here at Central and all our HBCUs, wonderfully talented athletes 
who will be able to take advantage of their hard work and efforts. And Attorney McDonald, can you just talk in the, the last minute or two about how, in terms of using this as an opportunity, how we can help students at an earlier age kind of understand the importance of entrepreneurship. So the discussions that you're having with college athletes, high school athletes, you even mentioned middle school athletes, how this is an opportunity for us to help them think about um, how they can be you know, business owners because the vast majority of athletes, regardless of where they go to school, are not going to be like Mr. Burton, professional athletes. I think that it's a huge thing because it gives them um, vision of possibility, right? And if you think about it, sports has been used as a vehicle for the chance to get an education and um, and get a, get away from home or, you know, be able to um, experience life in a different way. And, uh, you, you know, you hear the stories about like wanting to become the next, you know, whatever superstar. Right. But we know that most most athletes are not going to be able to be that. So what are they going to be? Right. So we talk more about like what are who are you outside of being an athlete and what else do you want to do? What else are you good at? Um, and thinking about that, because I and I can say for my own like athletes, um, I don't know about Mr. Burton, but, you know, I I try to lean into the different things that they are good at and what they're interested in, because we know that they're not probably going to be professional athletes. So it's like you need to have a plan of what's next. And, you know, a part of what we do is working on that plan, whether it's getting internships in a certain field, helping them figure out like their major Um but as far as entrepreneurship is concerned, like thinking about, you know, I, I have an athlete who one of he loves to cut hair. He cuts hair of like all the this student athletes. So, you know, leaning into that, like, is that something that you want to do when you get out of school? Um, you know, they do video production, uh, photography. When he runs one of them runs a drone the drone for the school, like does a lot of work for that. So and he's been, you know, leaning into those opportunities. So I think entrepreneurship and the NIL just gives more vision to what's possible outside of sports. And I think that's just so important for our, our kids. Excellent. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, but we want to thank our three wonderful guests. Angelica McDonald, a North Carolina-based attorney who practices business, sports, trademark law, is the founder of Rise HBCU and is a proud graduate of NCCU School of Law. Jamarius Burton, who is a former college basketball player, Charlotte native, and he plays professional basketball in Belgium. And Jada Satchel, she is a third-year law student here at NCCU School of Law. She has recently published a note on NIL, and she is the editor-in-chief of the Science and Intellectual Property Law Review. And we also want to give a big shout out and thank you to our wonderful student producer, Kiana Woods. She is a third year law student here at NCCU School of Law. She's also a research assistant for the Legal Eagle Review, and she has been doing great work. So thank you, Kiana. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. And we hope you have enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, please send us an email. You can reach us at 
legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And if you miss this show on Sunday, you can find us on the Legal Eagle Review podcast. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.